p.m. We are closing in on week 15. Officially, it begins Thursday evening with the Chiefs at the Chargers. In the vicinity of Inglewood is Miles Simmons, undisclosed location. I'm not going to dox him, but he's in California, southern part somewhere. Hello, Miles. How are you? I mean, we've talked about how I'm in Santa Monica before. So, like, I mean, I don't know that it, you're trying to keep uh, guessing, like, you're revealing too much information here. Although, I'll tell you what, man, it's kind of cold here this week. It's been mid 50s. It's chilly season. I made some chilly last night. So, I'm trying to keep myself warm. Got a sweater on today. I'm not really used to this anymore. You know, it's funny. I'm having issues with my earpiece. I didn't hear anything oh. you just said. So well, uh, I think I hear you now. It probably doesn't make much of a difference because you aren't really listening to me anyway. So No, I go. don't listen anyway. At least I have an excuse this time. <laughs> but I have somehow I have somehow fixed my technical issue. Low tech solution like the Fonz. I just banged on it and it Woo. and it worked for a change. I noticed that do you know who the Fonz is? Do you know who the Fonz is? Uh you're uh, Happy Days. Yes. Okay, good. Good. Have you ever seen Happy Days? I actually have. I've seen some. Yeah, Nick at Night when I, you know, when I was little, Nick at Night, the place for TV hits. You know what I really used to love? I loved Bewitched. You know, Bewitched was fantastic. You know, you get Samantha, you know, she's crinkling her nose a little bit. I watched that. Brady Bunch, Ow My Nose, Sure Jan. I know those. I love Lucy. I was a big fan of that one, too. So I actually, I know more like old TV shows than I know movies. (laughs) Uh, By the way, you're your background is just kind of gradually sprouting yeah. <laughs> more and more festivity. I like it. it I support is. it. Is that that's not a ceramic tree over your left shoulder, is it? Is that a piece of ceramics? Uh, ceramic? No, I mean like it's it's not real. I don't know if that makes it ceramic. Uh, one of my dear friends Seriously? wanted it out of her apartment, so she gave it to me, and I was like, you know what? I can use this. Same with the candles okay. that are behind my head. So very good. Very well done. And I expect on Friday, as we are a Friday closer to Christmas and also a Friday closer to more festivity and a little less mortality. Uh, The Cardinals have a problem in addition to the fact that they lost a game on Monday night and are now in a three way tie for the one seed and two seed and three seed in the NFC. Receiver DeAndre Hopkins is likely to miss the rest of the regular season and return for the postseason with a knee sprain. He's had several injuries this year and has missed several games, but he continues to be one of the best receivers in the NFL. Without him, that affects the Arizona offense, and that puts more pressure on some of their other guys to step up and get it done, Miles. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because it's not like DeAndre Hopkins is putting up the monster numbers that we may be used to seeing out of him. I mean, he is 42 catches, 572 yards. He's really, really been effective in just getting into the end zone. He has eight touchdown receptions and the second player. Um, on that team is Christian Kirk, and he's got four. So he's got double the number of touchdown receptions as anybody else. So it's not like, you know, he's totally ineffective. But when you're looking at that offense and the way it has to operate, DeAndre Hopkins is obviously the go-to guy for somebody like Kyler Murray. And he absolutely should be, right? That's the reason why the Arizona Cardinals traded for him in the first place, but it is definitely going to now be a little bit more difficult for that Arizona offense. And I think we saw on Monday night, Kyler Murray a little struggle a little bit, a little bit with those turnovers. And that's something that he's kind of done low key a little bit throughout the course of the season. He's had some interceptions. He's fumbled a couple times too. So 
when you don't have DeAndre Hopkins, it obviously changes your offense, but it also kind of changes the way that you can maybe play things because teams aren't going to necessarily know who the go-to guy is like it obviously is when DeAndre Hopkins is out there. He has missed three games this year due to injury. Will miss, if this report is accurate, at least four more and then return for the playoffs. They have not officially clinched yet, but it just seems to be a matter of time before they do. And when you look at the depth chart, this is an opportunity for some of the other guys to step up. A.J. Green has been better this year than his recent performances would have suggested. Rondell Moore, the rookie, maybe he steps up a little bit and gets involved. Andy Isabella is a guy they had a lot of hype and expectations for and that's just not a name you hear very often so maybe he can find a way to finally make an impact Zach Ertz has done pretty well since coming over from Philadelphia and James Conner has been we talked about this earlier in the week on PFT live he's been a steal at 1.75 million for one year what he's done scoring 16 touchdowns already this season he's got one per game for each of the last seven games 11 total in those seven games he's been great and it just is going to put more pressure on him. And then the guy who is the straw who stirs the drink in Kyler Murray, he's the guy that's going to have to ultimately make up for the absence of DeAndre Hopkins. But injuries are going to be an issue. COVID is going to be an issue. All sorts of things. As the talent is compressed around the league, it's going to be some sort of factor beyond the control of a team that controls its fate. Well, yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely right about James Conner. And the other thing, I mean, he is really making those impressive catches. We saw that a couple of times on Monday night. But I, when you look at that, excuse me, the NFC West now, because the Rams won that game, it's still kind of wide open, especially now. The Cardinals are at Detroit, they're versus Indianapolis, at Dallas versus Seattle to end the regular season. And the Rams are versus Seattle, at Minnesota, at Baltimore, and versus San Francisco. So, I mean, I feel like the Cardinals can go 4-0 throughout the last few weeks, even without uh, DeAndre Hopkins, but they don't quite control their own outcome now when it comes to that number one seed. And it's a critical number one seed for any team in either conference because that's the only team now that's going to get the bye after they added one too many playoff teams in the NFL for each conference. So I feel like if what they're going to do is win the division, then they've got to make sure that they continue to play at a high level even when DeAndre Hopkins isn't out there. Yeah, and uh, look, like you said, he has not been a stat machine this year, so it doesn't make his absence as dramatic as it would be. But it's the threat of DeAndre Hopkins that can help open up the rest of the Arizona offense, and we'll see how they do going forward. We see what the NFL is doing right now with COVID, and that is struggling. Quote of the day came from Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, who said, and I quote, and this comes from Judy Batista of NFL Media, at some point you feel like you're fighting a ghost. You don't know where to swing and just I entertained myself with that gif of the ghost I think they called him Slimer was that his name from Ghostbusters Miles did not know what movie it was we had some fun with it what movie is that and I know that you know what movie it is (laughs) but I know also this is part of your shtick that you haven't seen it you haven't seen many of the great movies of the 80s and the 90s and today So some of these responses, and this is very well done by the control room, very well done with the scrolling. This is professional. They're going to actually, like, 
force me to be less of a hack during this show if this is the kind of quality we're going to have. Are you kidding me? Bill Murray in a hotel probably lost in translation. I like that a lot. Some very, very great responses, Miles. Oh, yeah. Let's go starring Whoopi Goldberg. I have a notebook. It got really weird. That's from Jeff Gother. Yeah, or Gother, sorry. And uh, the all-male reboot of Ghostbusters. I like that one, too. Yeah, these are some really, really funny responses here. I did like the green Casper one. I think that was probably my favorite. I've seen Casper at some point, you know, as a kid. That's when I actually saw but, you know, you've got green uh, Casper there. And then Bill Murray. Somebody said Groundhog Day. It's another overrated movie. But, uh, yeah, these are all really good responses. Slimer is the name of the green ghost in Ghostbusters, I, oh. I guessed. And for a change, I guessed right. Originally, he was referred to as Onion Head. I did not know that. I did not know <laughs> that the green ghost in Ghostbusters was going to be called Onion head. Uh, regardless, the NFL does have an issue with COVID in all seriousness. They have to figure it out. And this all is hitting at a time when the owners are meeting today and they're trying to figure out protocol changes with the union. It's all the product of negotiation. They ultimately want to ensure that they're going to play the games. And you also want to have integrity of your product. You don't want to have these guys just dropping like flies, even though they're they're fine and they're healthy. Most of them who get it, they just can't play. They aren't available. And so... You have a guy who can't play in a game, and it can affect the outcome of the game. They don't want that. So, yes, you want to play all the games, but you don't want to play the games with guys you literally pull off the street the day of the game to replace the players that people are actually tuning in to watch. I know we ultimately are just rooting for the laundry, but we don't want it to be like the 1987 strike replacement games either when all the star players for every team aren't available. So they've got to get this under control. I think it's a no-brainer to go back to last year's protocols because last year's protocols worked. They worked. You throw last year's protocols on top of the fact that 96% of the guys are vaccinated. That should be enough to hold this together, Miles. You'd like to think so, especially because you've just not seen these kinds of numbers that are coming out of teams almost ever. I mean, even when we go back to last season and there were these kinds of clusters and sort of outbreaks that would happen between teams or on teams, it just never seemed to be this dramatic, especially where you have so many kind of star players on three different teams at the same time, all going out. It was just never really like this. And, you know, you go back to Halloween where people were probably gathering and you didn't see numbers like this. And then even in the immediate aftermath of Thanksgiving, you didn't see numbers like this. So, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense for what now is called the intensive protocols. You you probably want to implement that with every single team and start backing things off and go to virtual and try to get guys boosters as soon as possible so that you can have as much protection as humanly possible against this virus that is still out there and is still spreading throughout the communities, not just, you know, on football teams, but in society as a whole, it's still not just a football problem. It's a societal problem, but as it relates to the football, yeah, you want to get as many guys um, as healthy and as protected against this thing as you possibly can. A natural solution to a supernatural problem, as Arthur Blank would say. Heyo. Uh, and let's move forward. The NFL Players Association has played the I told you so card with the NFL today because the union was saying back in September, test vaccinated players daily. Text vaccinated players daily. Because, look, and, and here's the problem. The NFL came up with 
a set of protocols aimed at enticing as many players as possible to choose to be vaccinated. Hey, come here, step right up. If you get vaccinated, you only get tested once every two weeks. If you're not vaccinated, you get tested every single day. You decide. Talk among yourselves. Come to a conclusion as to what you'd like to do. Well, then what happened was they go from once every two weeks to once a week. That was at the urging of the union to do it every single day. And now the union's saying, hey, if we had done this every single day, we wouldn't be in this mess because there is a logical flaw in the entire process of testing guys once a week. Because what happens is, as we've seen this week, Odo Beckham Jr. plays in a game on Monday night. He tests positive the next day. Surely he was positive during the game. T.J. Watt, a couple of weeks ago, test positive on Monday. He, he's negative by Friday. Surely he was positive the day before he tested positive, which was six days since the last time he was tested. So you can catch it, you can get it, you can spread it, and nobody knows you have it until a week after your last test. They need to go to an airlock procedure. And I thought from the get-go, when this first became a thing, what occurred to me is this is simple. You create a little booth that is attached to the front door to the facility. You go in there, you get tested, and you don't pass into the main doors unless you have tested negative. Now, the problem is, Miles, the testing technology didn't allow that starting into the 2020 season. They got there with the Mesa machine by the end of the season. The Mesa machine where they do it on-site PCR testing, it is as reliable as when they had to send everything away to a lab. So you can do it in 15 minutes to a half hour. You bring the guy in there, have your phone. They're on their phones anyway. Listen to music, check out, read something, do whatever. Check out profootballtalk.com for all I care, and I do. But you don't get in until you generate a negative test. It's that simple. Regardless of whether or not you've been vaccinated, nobody gets in without a negative test. That will go a long way toward preventing the spread of the virus in facilities. Well, absolutely, Mike. And, you know, I, I think that you're right. You're you're on to something with that. But it also really takes a while. And then, you know, part of the impetus for saying, all right, we don't necessarily want to have to test people every single day is because a lot of players and a lot of uh, team personnel and what have you, would have to get into that facility very early in order to make sure that their tests could be sent off to wherever it was that the PCR uh, testing would then happen. And then it would the results would come back basically the next day overnight in certain cases, if not later that afternoon. And then that's when you find out that you're negative or positive. And so part of it is just that, you know, you don't necessarily want to always, always, always be at the facility. But it when you're also testing that many players, it's also a matter of space and time. And it's like, okay, how many players can you test at a time where you're getting guys in the facility efficiently? And so I, that's, I think, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I think that that's part of why it is set up the way it's set up currently, right? Where it's only once a week and guys can still do what they need to do, especially if they're vaccinated. But I think it's interesting when you talk about, you know, the gotcha aspect of this from the NFLPA, because like I was saying, it, it's not like we saw these huge, huge numbers coming out of times when folks were ostensibly gathering and maybe having more parties. Like I said, with Halloween, for instance, when we were talking about Thanksgiving initially, you didn't see this coming out of it in that, that next Monday or Tuesday where teams actually were testing a little bit more frequently than because of the gathering aspect of Thanksgiving. And so now we're in basically the middle of December and it's like, okay, things are sort of trending upwards in different communities. And I think that's part of why um, you're now seeing all these numbers increase within teams themselves. So, I mean, I think you're right. You know, there is this flaw in the testing system where guys like Odell Beckham Jr., TJ Watt, 
were out there ostensibly positive um, with this virus as they were playing, but then you don't figure it out until the next day. So there it is. And don't call me Shirley. There was a tweet the other day from I don't know what movie that from either. There's a there's a uh, of course I do. There was a tweet the other day from Adam Schefter suggesting that the league believes 86 percent of the current cases are the result of infection happening away from the facility. And at first blush, I really don't know how they they get that down to the molecule, but maybe they do. And of course, they have an incentive to make it look like it's not happening at team facilities. But if that's the case, number one. They need to start working on these guys to maybe not go out and about and get themselves infected. And number two, all the more reason to come up with some sort of an airlock system. It doesn't have to be a tiny little booth. It can be a trailer. It can be big enough where you can separate. You can have five guys come at a time, ten guys come at a time, whatever it is. They have the resources to figure out the best way to do this. They do. But a procedure, yes. Yes. a procedure, and in, in the in the teams that are playing in nice climates you just stay outside you hang around outside until it's time to get in so uh they they just need to consider doing something like that because that's the best way to keep the virus out of the facility you don't let anyone in every given day who is positive no one gets in without generating a negative test another thing that we've been talking about and uh i'm somewhat surprised and dismayed that the nfl actually seems to be listening the idea that players who are positive and asymptomatic and obviously vaccinated shouldn't arbitrarily be kept out for any period of time. They should be allowed to play because they are playing before they test positive. They're playing the day before they generate the positive test. And see, that whole aspect of the protocol, I think, was generated for PR and or political reasons. Well, we better test them once a week. We better look like we care. When are we going to test them? We're going to test them the day of the game? No, because then we have some guys who won't play. Let's test them right after the game so maybe they can come back for the next game and they don't miss any games. So there's a lot of that logic floating around here. And if you really aren't concerned, and I don't think you should be concerned about guys who are asymptomatic and positive spreading it in an open-air stadium or in a dome that has great ventilation, why are you requiring them to be gone for a certain period of time? It's not practical in my view. And according to Mark Maskey the Washington Post, the league has discussed allowing vaccinated players who test positive but don't have symptoms to return sooner than they already do. My position has been, unless you're symptomatic, you should be allowed in, even if you're positive and if you're vaccinated, because not, not in the facility per se, free reign, but on the practice field and at games, it shouldn't be an issue. Yeah, right. And I, like you said, it, it is the testing flaw, right? Because if you have already been playing, then, you know, you're ostensibly not necessarily shedding virus in a way that's going to get other players infected. I think that even last year before the vaccines, we sort of saw that there was no real big evidence that players were transmitting uh, the virus to one another when they were playing. So, I mean, the only kind of... I guess questions then would be, okay, how do you necessarily get those players ready to play? How do you make sure that they're separated in in enough fashion that they wouldn't necessarily be transmitting virus inside? Because I don't think you would want to have those players in a locker room setting that is indoors and, you know, in close proximity to other players. So you got to figure that out. And I think, you know, you're talking about how the NFL has enough resources to figure out the testing problem that 
the facility. Well, they could certainly figure something out in terms of like a mobile locker room or putting them in a trailer or doing whatever they have to do to make sure that players can be at the stadium and not try to infect other people in an indoor setting. So I, I think that there is something to that, especially because as we know, players are already playing and they're probably already positive. So Man, Mike, you know, you're you're just influencing the culture here, man. I mean, my gosh, it's, it's kind of interesting. Well, it just shows you that, number one, they're either not as smart as they need to be, or number two, they are <laughs> so desperate for solutions that they would dare to listen to someone like me. By the way, there's a press conference going on. David Sills, Alan Sills, not David Sills, that's a... David Sills is somebody Sills else is like altogether. It's a musician. David S- Crosby, S- uh, Crosby Sills. I don't know. Somebody. It's not David. That's it's Alan Sills. Alan Sills. David Sills is either, but it's not. Sills and Croft. Uh, Alan Sills speaking Sills at a press Croft. conference Summer today. Breeze. I know. I know. They, they are. They are uh, responding to the NFLPA's position that testing should happen every day by saying that testing doesn't prevent the spread that seems slightly illogical to me because if you know somebody has it that would tend to put you in a position where you could prevent the spread of it and when i hear something like that well well but if you're negative right in in, if you don't let anyone in the door unless they've tested negative how can you tell me that's not going to prevent or minimize the spread of it? Because I guess there's a chance that from the moment you show up for work that day to the moment you leave, you become positive and you start shedding virus. I guess that's unavoidable. But if you have a barrier to the building that is based on generating a negative test, you can't tell me that won't go a long way toward minimizing the spread. But I guess their point is right. it's not happening in our buildings. It's happening yes. when these guys go home. Exactly. So that's if you're, you know, because it follows the logic of, you know, what you were talking about with that Schefter tweet, right? If 86 or so percent of the cases that are positive are happening from outside the building, then that's not necessarily going to prevent as much spread or prevent the clusters that are occurring that inside the building anyway, because they're not coming from inside the building. They're coming from outside the building. So it kind of more testing is not necessarily going to be the solution for that. But if you're getting clusters that are coming from inside the building itself, then yes, obviously when you stop one, then you're going to stop that thing from entering the building in the first place. Here's the benefit of testing every day. I remembered now, and it's been a long time and my memory isn't what it used to be. I freely admit it, I think. But my, my, uh, my recollection is that at one point early in the pandemic, There was an argument made that daily testing serves as a reminder. It serves as a deterrent. It serves as a way to ensure that guys will be more careful. And for guys who are competitive and they know they're going to be tested every single day, it makes them less inclined to do things that would potentially cause them to eventually test positive because they know first thing in the morning I'm getting tested. So I better think twice before I go to the bar tonight. I better think twice before I go hang out at a teammate's house and three of us infect each other, which may be going on with some of these teams. You know that every day you've got that up or down accountability of whether or not you're positive or negative. And that in and of itself could be helpful, not to reduce the spread away from the facility per se, but to infuse a mindset where you know you've got a report card every morning 
And you're not going to slip through the cracks for a week. If you're vaccinated, there's a chance you slip through the cracks. And I don't have to worry about that until next Monday. If it's immediate, if it's every day, maybe guys will be more careful. Well, yeah, but I, I think the other part of it, too, is what are what are the regulations that are in the communities, right? And how do we operate um, within them? I mean, because when I went to Ohio for Thanksgiving, for instance, like there, there's no mask mandates like there are in L.A. County where I live. I'm used to taking a mask with me every single place that I go, and I put that thing on whenever I have to go indoors. It's just not necessarily the case in some place like Ohio. Now, I mean, we can say whatever we want about that because you've got two teams that are in these two places that I just visited that now have upwards of 16 plus people on their COVID list. But I think that, I still think that that's part of it. Whatever, where you're, where you're in your communities um, and what the regulations are, what the laws are, what the mandates are in those places, especially if that's how guys are getting this virus and testing positive, if it's coming from outside the facility. And if you're vaccinated, I mean, there is some thought there that, that it's not that you're invincible, not that you can't get it, because if anybody's told you that if you're vaccinated, you can't get the virus, that's wrong. It's just that the effects of what it is um, that you get, your symptoms are going to be more mild and it's probably not going to send you to the ICU, right? I, I think that hopefully everybody who's taken a vaccine knows that. So because of that, I just feel like even with that you know, knowledge, it, you still have this more of a sense of invincibility, right? And you think, okay, I'm protected to a certain extent and I've been trying to do the right things and I've been abiding by everything that you know the government tells me to do in my locality, then you don't think that there's as much of a risk. So I think all that is to say that, yeah, if you're still, if you now are implementing the daily testing, it, it sort of tells you, especially if you see what's going on in all these other teams, like, okay, well, maybe we got to back off a little bit because if I test positive, it's clearly going to be a competitive disadvantage for my team as we are trying to make a push to the playoffs. And I think the more teams start thinking about that, the better off they're probably going to be. Well, because it's going to be a team that has the full commitment, that follows those procedures, that is careful about what they do, that has strong team leadership that holds guys accountable like a Tom Brady that will not have themselves in the predicament of losing key players for postseason games. The Browns have 18 players currently on the COVID-19 reserve list. They play the Raiders in only three days. Kevin Stefanski, who also has tested positive. Remember, he missed the playoff game that the Browns won in Pittsburgh last year with a case of COVID. Here's Stefanski from earlier today on where his focus is as the Browns try to get ready to field a team on Saturday against the Raiders. You know, again, I'm kind of keeping the focus on today. Uh, We have a game Saturday at 4.30, unless someone tells me otherwise. Uh, And and really, we just have to focus on on what we need to do uh, to prepare. And, And that's our full expectation is to get out there with our guys Saturday and go find a way. You know, whenever somebody has one of those fake backgrounds, I become so curious about what's really behind them, right? Like, what's really back there? Is there a plate, like, dirty dishes stacked up to the ceiling, a dead body? (laughs) I mean, you know, what's back there that you're hiding with your fancy-schmancy digital background? I, I am so curious about that every time I see that. Well, that, especially that one, because it looked like he was basically the green screen and the background wasn't. That was, that was kind of bizarre, man. I don't know about that. That's funny. I mean, although at least he wasn't wearing a hoodie this time that I want. <laughs> Have they ever put those for sale? 
No, no, they still haven't. I'm, I'm a little disappointed in my Browns. I really am. There has <laughs> been no discussion. Two. I know. Well, it's lost opportunities to make some money and dysfunctional sure. teams do dysfunctional things. So maybe the Browns really still is the Browns. Okay. No discussion on changing the status of Saturday's game between the Browns and the Raiders. Look, you've got 69 guys who are available. It takes 21 guys to get knocked out to not be able to field the maximum number of players on game day. 48 is the absolute maximum if you have eight offensive linemen dressed. That's the most guys you can have. So you already have a buffer of 21. How far below that will the NFL go before it says to a team, you don't have enough guys? We can't let you play. It's not safe for the guys who are there. And then, Miles, I wonder what secret procedures may be lurking that we don't know about. Because, really, if it came down to it, they could go out and they could sign 10 guys tomorrow if they had to. There's enough guys out there. The supply far outweighs the demand of players who are ready to go. Every day we see the list of tryouts, guys trying to get into the NFL. If they needed 10 guys, 15 guys, 20 guys, they could get them just like that. Now, how competitive a game would it be? Not very, but we've seen situations where guys basically get thrust into the lineup and they have to go play. And these are guys who played at the college level and they played well enough that they were on a 90-man roster in the offseason and they're in that churn that's out there. So I think before the NFL would ever refund ticket prices for a full stadium and refund or rebate or credit or whatever networks for the cost of a game, and this is an NFL network only game and you have to have a certain number of NFL network only games to justify the subscription rates that are charged to cable and satellite and streaming you find a way to get it done even if it means Friday night the Browns holding an open tryout in Berea and picking up 10 guys or not even trying guys out just calling guys up and saying meet us in Las Vegas we'll put you in a uniform we don't need a name on the back of the jersey we'll just go play they're, they're playing in Cleveland, so, I mean, hey, I got a helmet already. I can go, like, I can hop on a flight, man, if you need me. I'll take that red eye. I'll get out there for you, Kevin Stefanski. Is it no, Cleveland really. or Las Vegas? Where are they playing that game? They're playing do I, Why do I keep thinking? Oh, I, I kept thinking it was Las Vegas. Oh, it's the site of the 1980 playoff game between the yep. Raiders and the Browns. <laughs> Thank you for that reminder, what? Mike. Yeah, nobody You weren't that, alive! You weren't, You can't be offended about me referring to an outcome of a game when you weren't even born yet. You were 11 years from being born when Doesn't that game matter. was played. You cannot be offended by that. Doesn't matter. I know my Cleveland history. I know you're talking about Red Right 88. So, you know, I, I don't need to be that to be brought up. And annals of you know Cleveland history that are tear the, the things that are so bad that happened in the eighties that the drive the fumble we don't need to talk about that Mike talking about today the Raiders are the ones that just got beat up forty eight to nine last week and the Browns won so there but yeah it's, it could be <laughs> they're gonna play the game this is the point of the thing that we should be saying here they're gonna play that game well. At least this time around, if the Raiders decide to gather at midfield on the logo, they won't run into the same problem if they're playing a There's bunch no of guys. There's no logo. The Browns. Well, the Browns there you go. Don't have a logo. Yeah. Yeah. They just paint They'll find through, a way to disrespect the, the Browns somehow. All right. Well, yeah, let's uh, let's take a break. Quarterback news from around the National Football League when this Wednesday edition of PFTPM continues right after this. Yeah. 
All right, some quarterback news as we approach week 15. Josh Allen, who was in a walking boot after Sunday's loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he's still sore. Mitchell Trubisky got the reps at a walkthrough that the Bills had today. Here's Josh Allen talking about the status of that injured foot. Feeling good. Um, obviously, we got a got a few more days. We got a rehab, and um, obviously, I'd, I'd love to play. And um, I guess we'll have to reevaluate some things in a couple of days. But as of right now, it feels pretty good. And um, you know, fortunate enough to have the training staff that we do getting work on it. Uh, you know, around the clock, it's, it's quite a bit better. And again, uh, hats off to to the training staff for putting up with me in the training room and um, giving me the attention that I needed. So uh, it, again. We gotta we gotta attack these next few days. Yeah, you know, there was a tweet last night from Ian Rappaport that Josh Allen was at a showing of Hamilton in Manhattan and he didn't have a walking boot on. I'm guessing that wasn't him. If they're saying as he is that they're getting round the clock treatment on it, that's what you do when you've got an injury that you're trying to get healed with the passage of time and the application of the various treatment options that are available to reduce swelling or whatever needs to be done so i have a feeling that that probably wasn't oh. the josh allen maybe it was a josh allen but not the josh allen no in, they, uh, in they new york city him. on tuesday night oh well, when, what happened it. yeah was no, he there he said it was good he said he they, oh, he said it was good well, so unless he was talking about watching it on disney plus like the rest of us i, mean, I don't know I, well well that's that you're not getting around the clock treatment Unless you've got a trainer up there with you working on your foot during the show. Maybe that's why I didn't have a walking boot on. So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I just didn't look, want to throw away his shot, Mike. That's all. I'm, I'm not going to start down the path of saying what a guy should or shouldn't do on his day off. But Thank you. when, you've got, when you've got a game coming up and your team's kind of falling apart and your foot's injured and you're going to say that you need round-the-clock treatment – I don't know how you squeeze in a jaunt down to Manhattan for Hamilton when you can see it the entire offseason if you want. And that offseason may start sooner than you expected if you don't get things turned around quickly. Um, okay, like Lamar Jackson. Up. Flight, isn't it? I don't know. Well, but it's like a three and a half hour show, too. I mean, you're, look, look, <laughs> I, I'm not I don't want to go Johnny Manziel when he gets his opportunity to be a starter. He goes to the the Cavaliers game that night and doesn't study like he should. Josh Allen knows what he's doing, but if you've got an injury that requires that kind of round the clock treatment, that's where I'll defer. I'll defer to the experts. I'm a Josh Allen guy. It's just one of those things where like one, I am a Josh Allen guy, Mm. but I, I, but I, I'm, I'm also a, I'm also a do whatever you have to do and leave no doubt that you're doing everything you have to do to get yourself ready to play guy as well. And I don't know that I can reconcile the two. All right. Lamar Jackson, not practicing today. His status for Sunday is undecided. Coach John Harbaugh says he's day to day. He's got the ankle injury. He was in the walking boot on Sunday after the loss to the Cleveland Browns. The offense is not dramatically different with Tyler Huntley and Tyler Huntley won a game for the uh, Baltimore Ravens in Chicago. It wasn't a great game. It was an ugly game. It was a close game, but he won the game. So I don't know that it's a dramatic drop-off, but obviously Lamar Jackson, the 2019 MVP, is the guy you want out there if you can have him. We'll find out. Oh, they got the Packers coming to town too. So uh, probably would be a good idea to have him if you can get him. 
Uh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, and that's just a fun matchup, right? I think we all want to see Aaron Rodgers versus uh, Lamar Jackson. You got back-to-back MVPs there. So, yeah, it, it's going to be a big thing whether or not Lamar Jackson is able to go. But I think also you got to think about the performance of Lamar Jackson lately. And unfortunately, it probably is not that much of a drop-off based on the way that Lamar Jackson's been playing over the last you know, five, six weeks, let's call it to Tyler Huntley. I mean, Tyler Huntley, I thought, acquitted himself very well in that game against the Cleveland Browns, especially in the second half, really helping the Baltimore Ravens come back and almost steal that game from Cleveland in Cleveland. So I think that, you know, just because Lamar Jackson may or may not be out there, it doesn't necessarily mean that Baltimore is going to be out of it. But I do think that Green Bay is one of the few elite teams in this league. And if they're facing a backup quarterback with the way Joe Barry has done such a great job with that defense, and I probably would pick the Packers to win that game anyway. But if Lamar Jackson can't go, I'm really on the Packers in that one. Yeah, the, the Ravens offense has not been good in recent weeks. That's kind of the most overlooked story because they're winning, they're competitive, but they're just not scoring points, and that doesn't bode well for a team that's trying to hold on to its opportunity to win the division and advance to the postseason. Taylor Heineke of the Washington football team trying to help his team get to the playoffs. They were dealt a significant blow to those chances on Sunday when they lost to the Cowboys. He has an elbow injury. I thought he also had a knee problem, too. He exited the fourth quarter for Kyle Allen. Is it Kyle Allen? Josh Allen? I'm getting my Allens mixed up. It's Kyle Allen. He came in and did fairly well. But Taylor Heineke, David Sills as well. But Taylor Heineke uh, says uh, the elbow didn't hurt today, so it's all around good news. So I guess they're hoping that they have him this weekend. They're they're doing their – aren't they the team in the NFC East that, like, each of their final five games is against a team in the NFC East? Uh, I think that's that's it. So, uh, look – they're holding on to a spot currently in the NFC wildcard field. They have to keep winning or they're going to lose it. There's too many other teams that are in that cluster of six and seven that could end up taking the spot. So do you think they're going to make it? I think it's going to be the 49ers and the Vikings because I feel like the Vikings are predestined to make it to the wild card round and get the crap stomped out of them by the number two seed. And then ownership will say, ah, that was good enough. Let's do it all again next year. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe then you should have wanted Mike Zimmer and the Vikings to lose that game uh, last week because then we might have been talking about a new coach already for the Vikings. I I have said before, and I'm going to really stick by this for now, that I think it's going to be the Eagles um, that will get that last playoff spot. I mean, you've got six and seven Washington versus six and seven Philadelphia this week. Washington right now still holding on to that seventh seed in the NFC. So obviously if they lose to Philadelphia, that's a big deal generally, but it's also a big deal because of playoff positioning. You can also talk about the NFC East positioning if you want. I mean, I still think that the Cowboys are fine. And I've maintained that unlike the other person that I'm co-hosting this show with. So I just, I, I don't know that the, the Washington football team is going to be able to make it. I agree with you on San Francisco, but you know, I said Philadelphia before and I'll, I'll stick with it for now. It's at Eagles, Cowboys, Eagles, and at Giants, the final four games for Washington, which just just played Dallas. So five straight divisional games to wrap the season for the Washington football team. Speaking of the Eagles, Jalen Hurts trending upward to return from his ankle injury, but Gardner Minshew will get some first-team reps. I really think they're tempted to go fully healthy or 100% with Jalen Hurts and ride the hot hand with Gardner Minshew. Then you're not really 
benching Jalen Hurts while you play Minshew. And if Minshew sputters, you didn't really bench him, your other guys healthy. I think Minshew gives them the better chance to win enough games to punch a ticket now. But I think that their long-term interests are better suited by giving Jalen Hurts the reps, finding out what they have. So when the quarterback carousel spins in the offseason, they can decide whether or not they want to try to grab a seat on it. Yeah, I, well, frankly, I think no matter what, they're probably going to try to get a seat on that quarterback carousel, no matter what Jalen Hurts does. And I, I, I don't think Jalen Hurts is a bad quarterback, but I think that they are somewhat limited in what they can do offensively if you have somebody like Jalen Hurts. And I think you could say the same about a Gardner Minshew. I mean, even though he performed well in that start that he had a couple weeks ago, it's not like he was, you know, going out there and looking like Aaron Rodgers. And I just, I don't think that we're going to see that ever from Gardner Minshew, but I think that Gardner Minshew can go out there and he can help you win a game can help you win a couple games. I certainly think he can go out there and help you beat uh, the Washington football team, especially considering what their COVID situation is along that defensive front. They've got a lot of guys missing from the defensive line right now. And Chase Young is already out for the season. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's like you said in this situation where because Jalen Hurts, especially because he has a high ankle sprain, turning upward when you are a quarterback who's got to push off that foot and he's also got to be able to run around in order to really be effective the way he plays. Like, that's not enough for me when you're talking about a guy who's got a high ankle. So I would tend to think, at least for now, that uh, Gardner Minshew is going to start, and maybe we'll see another video that just looks like it smells like cigarettes with his father after the game. (laughs) That's horrible. Couldn't you you smell? I mean, Mike, come on now. Like, it just smelled like cigarettes. I I didn't even – I can't – you can't smell video, but, like, if it did, that video would have smelled like cigarettes. Yeah, I'm not saying As that a guy, they were smoking cigarettes, but I just got to say, like, that's what that looked like to me. As a guy who emerges from his barn a couple of nights per week and comes back Look up to this. the house and is asked the question, have you been smoking? I resent saying that anything smells like cigarettes because I smell like cigars twice a week. But it, I agree with you. It's, it's mean, it but it's funny. <laughs> It's funny. I, I didn't uh, think that was me. I wasn't. I didn't mean it in a mean spirit. No, smell way. like just, cigarettes is a compliment. No. Oh, this is a. Oh, oh, Mrs. Thompson, your house is just decorated in such a lovely flat. What is that scent in the air? Is that cigarettes? You have Listen, outdone yourself, Mrs. Thompson. I've got Santa hats behind me. One of the best uh, bars I've ever been to in my life is Santa's Pub in Nashville. And anytime you leave that place, it's a karaoke bar. It's fantastic. But you smell like a straight-up cigarette. But you'll have a great time. Love Santa's pub. Let's let's take a break. Marvin Jones addressed the heated exchange he reportedly had with Urban Meyer that resulted in the reports and the the rumors and the discussion and everything else over the weekend for the Jaguars. We'll discuss that next on PFTPM. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Uh, I'll just say, just say this. Um, you know, there was... 
something that was brought to my attention that I didn't that I didn't like too much, too well. Um, I approached him about it and and we talked and we handled it like grown men. And that's all I have to say about that. So that was you know two and a half weeks ago. So. Marvin Jones taking the high road regarding his reportedly heated exchange with Urban Meyer. The fact that it was two and a half weeks ago doesn't matter. The fact that it happened is what matters. And frankly, Miles, the fact that it became a thing on the same day that two other incidents were reported by the media conglomerate partially owned by the Jaguars, that is the far bigger issue than the details of the allegations. It shows that there are people in that building that don't like Urban Meyer, that are willing to talk about Urban Meyer, and that would like to see Urban Meyer gone. So he has failed in his fundamental obligation to not piss everybody off to the point that they want him out of there. And I'm not saying everybody, but enough that they're talking. And Marvin Jones, he's caught in the middle of it. He's not trying to get anybody fired. He's not trying. All he's trying to do is do his job. And he's not the kind of guy that's going to try to cause those problems anyway. So I can see why he would downplay it. He's got to coexist with Meyer. But at the same time, somebody's been talking. They convinced NFL media. Did I mention it's partially owned by the Jaguars to go with it? That's the problem for Urban Meyer. Well, not only that, but, you know, what's interesting about this is it could be at the expense of some of these guys own jobs that they are talking to NFL media. I mean, because ostensibly these are some of the Jaguars assistants. It's somebody who works inside this building, right? That was presumably hired by Urban Meyer, who was you know, hired to oversee and run the entire football operation that now has been leaking to the media things that are going on within that building and how bad it is. And I think when, when something like this is happening and you know it's that bad and you are leaking things that could ex- cause you your job, which may or may not be on the line anyway, based on the way things are going on internally, like that's a big deal. So I totally understand why Marvin Jones would address it the way that he addressed it. And really, he didn't even say like it wasn't heated. He said, you know, we addressed it like grown men. And I appreciate that from him because what he's saying is, look, I know I can go and I can say something that I feel I believe in because I'm a veteran. I've played a long time in this league and I've earned the respect of my teammates in order to do that. And, you know, it's either going to be addressed or it's not. And I think the way he handled himself in the situation was a great and, you know, B when he's talking about it to the media, I thought he handled that very well too. So I got a lot of respect for Jones, the way he handled that. Yeah, I do as well. And look, this is just not going to end well. And I got the impression, no. reading between the lines of the things that owner Shad Khan said Monday on his super yacht while he spoke to reporters not at the occasion of his... Not just <laughs> a yacht, yacht, super yacht, according <laughs> to the Associated Press. Mark Long was there. It's a super yacht. It can yeah. fly uh, or it has other powers. <laughs> but 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 Khan says he's going to do the right thing. And the difference is they've tolerated losing. This is losing plus drama. And unnecessary drama. And I think that what Shad Khan needs to understand is Urban Meyer has failed to keep his house in order. And it all started when Urban Meyer abandoned his post and didn't return with his team to Jacksonville from Cincinnati. I don't care what he did in Ohio. The fact that he didn't go back to Jacksonville with the team is the moment where I think it it wasn't the last straw. It was all the straws on the camel's back at once. 
for the Jacksonville Jaguars and for the people who had been browbeaten or just not not treated in the way they they would like. He gave them license to be upset because that's about the time the talking started. This just didn't start. And I saw that Brady Quinn, who worked with Urban Meyer at Fox, was suggesting that that this is media cattiness. Dude, this is people in the building that are talking and trying to spread this. And and as further proof that it's not media cattiness, Josh Lambeau, who was the Jaguars kicker, he's on the record now, according to Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, saying that while Lambeau was warming up for practice, Meyer came up to him while he was stretching and said, hey, dip S-T, make your F-K-I-N-G kicks and kicks me in the leg. Lambeau says that Meyer kicked him in the leg. And... Uh, let's see what else. It it certainly wasn't as hard as he could have done it, but it wasn't a love tap either. Truthfully, I'd register it out as as a 5 out of 10, according to Lambeau, which in the workplace, I don't care if it's football or not, the boss can't strike an employee. And for a second, I couldn't believe it actually happened. Pardon my vulgarity. I said, don't you ever effing kick me again. His response was, I'm the head ball coach. I'll kick whoever the F I want. So uh, now Meyer denies it. Of course he does. He's denied everything. Josh's characterization of me and this incident is completely inaccurate. And there are eyewitnesses to refute his account. I'm sure they all receive paychecks from the Jacksonville Jaguars, which would make their to the extent that you're going to say Josh Lambeau is a disgruntled former employee. That's fine. But any of these eyewitnesses are going to have biases that tie into, you know, hey, guy that works for me. You saw that it didn't happen, right? Didn't you? Didn't you? So it's just another mess. And it's another example of a guy who has created enemies who are motivated to go after him. That in and of itself is a big enough flaw that if I'm the owner of the team, I'm done. I'm out. Um, I can find plenty of coaches who aren't going to be that kind of a problem. No doubt. And listen, I, I've never heard of anything like this in any kind of professional football setting. I've been covered in this league for eight years. You don't kick somebody. You know, if, if you know, what, what happened, the way that Lambeau described it happened, this is appalling behavior and it's unacceptable. And like that to me is a fireable offense, straight up. All right. Let's take a break. A uh, quick mailbag when this Wednesday edition of PFT PM concludes right after this. All right, very quick mailbag. B. Flo Fauchel, one of the usual and regular askers of questions. I think Brady is his name. Do you see any games getting moved or postponed this year, even though the newer rules and protocols were created to prevent this? The commissioner said at the press conference that was held today in connection with the quarterly meeting, no postponements, no cancellations, which tells me, Miles, if push comes to shove, you better put that helmet on and get to Cleveland. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. They're going to have to just sign guys. I mean, like you were saying earlier in the show, there are plenty of players who are on 90 man rosters who are ready to try out. So they better get ready because at least at this point, it seems like a lot of players are going to be needed in order to fill out some of these rosters. Now, is that real helmet or is that the decorative type? It's a real helmet. No, it's a real helmet, man. It's a real helmet. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really fit on my head very well, but it's real. Well, that would that would be a problem if you would have it. If, if it doesn't fit, that would tend to be a problem if you had to actually use it. PFT Pam Posse, yeah. what's your pasta and meatballs gut feeling on the whole congressional and Washington football team investigation? How will it end up? Will it bring down Goodell and hopefully Jeff Pash? PFT Pam Posse's comment, not mine. Jeff, just in mm-hmm. case. Um, I, it's too early to have a gut feeling. My, my, my very strong belief is they're not going to stop. They're going to keep pushing. 
there's a small percentage of these investigations that actually become full-blown hearings. I don't know whether or not this one becomes a full-blown hearing because I don't have enough experience following these cases and reading the tea leaves and knowing when they become full-blown hearings. I hope it becomes a full-blown hearing. I hope we get to the bottom of it. Miles, I'm convinced they are hiding something massive. And it's not just protecting uh, Roger, not Roger Goodell, protecting Daniel Snyder to protect the other owners. I think the league is concerned that there is something embedded in there that if it all came out, there would be pressure and scrutiny and attention turned back to the league office saying, how did you let this happen for so long, for 10 years? How did you allow this in the National Football League? It was this blatant. It was this open. It was this brazen. And maybe there were some complaints made directly to the league office that were ignored. Hadn't thought of that before. That's why mm. I like talking about these things. Yeah. I think they're trying to protect somebody, and it may just not be Daniel Snyder or other owners. It may be the guy who sits atop the ivory tower at 345 Park Avenue. Maybe that's the case. And you know what's interesting, Mike? I mean, the more I read about this, and that Washington Post story that came out yesterday was so good in terms of investigating all of these different elements that are come that have you know happened with Daniel Snyder. It, you just get the feeling like, how are they going to let him continue to own this franchise? It just seems like there is way too much there, and it might be because it's not just him that's implicated in whatever the full scope of this thing encompasses. And, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe it does go all the way to the top. We don't know now. Maybe we'll never know, but I hope we do find out. You know, it, it is interesting to think, like, what could come out in congressional hearings about this issue? The quote from Roger Goodell today when he was asked about the allegations that Daniel Snyder was trying to hinder Beth Wilkinson investigation said Goodell, it didn't interfere with the work that our investigator did, which obviously misses the point. He attempted right. to interfere. He attempted to chill the efforts of people to be candid. He failed, but he tried. And that in and of itself is grounds for serious consequence, Miles. Absolutely it is. Listen, whether or not it affects the outcome or doesn't, then you if you try, that's what the point is. You have something to hide, and that's why you're trying. All right, that's it for today. We tried to get through the show, and we did. Successfully or not, that's up to you. See you tomorrow. Have a great evening. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.